Right. So this is now episode eight. I still, I never really know what episode I'm on. I think this is episode eight, episode eight of the podcast. And I have been ridiculously excited about this one for some time. And it's taken a bit of backwards and forwarding to sort it out, mainly from my fault. So I'm sorry to Maria and Scott for this one because I didn't have a laptop and had an absolute nightmare of that. Anyway, I've now got a laptop and now I have Maria, who is the director of product, ma- is, am I right on this? Product management. That sounds really fancy. <laughs> That's correct. And I've got Scott, who's the engineering manager at Cervelo here with me to talk about some really, really cool bikes. So, I mean, I'm excited about this one. Uh, my geek level is probably on about 50 right now. <laughs> and which is hmm, it's probably that's pretty high for me, actually. And as I've sort of said, as many people know, uh, I've been a massive fan of the bike brand for a very long time. Looking back at like the soloist, some of the early bikes, I remember when I used to do like crit racing, the soloist was like the bike that everyone wanted. Yeah. This is makes me sound like really old. I'm not really old, but like not that in the long scale ago. of. It, it feels like a long time ago, but also not a long time ago yeah, at the same exactly. time. Yeah. And you have the realization that, was, that you're like, oh, it's, that's actually 15 years ago. Yeah. I know. Is it 15 years? Uh, it's, as a relative term, it's uh, something else came up the other day and I was like, oh, that wasn't that long ago. And then I went back and looked at the dates and I was like, that was 15 years ago. Yeah. It's quite scary when those kind of things happen, isn't yeah. it? Like, I, I, I get scared when I sit and think that I. Uh, I used to work as an architect and that was like coming up for 10 years ago now. And that, and that scares me now because I'm like, shit, what have I done in that 10 years? Uh, and I don't <laughs> yeah. really know the answer to it, to be honest. Like it's kind of a bit of a, bit, bit of a blur. And you blink um, and you're like, Oh, it's gone. Pardon? You blink and you're like, yep, it's gone. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? Like I, I definitely feel as you get older, this is so like star trek moment uh time is becomes really relative as you get older doesn't it like so like when you're at school like you have a school year and you're like god this year is like dragging and it's like oh my god i've been in this year for what what is one year but actually feels like 50 years and then in contrast like i'm pretty sure it feels like the 2012 olympics was last week still to me i remember i remember it really well and we've had another olympics since then yeah, absolutely. I think the same for, for me. I think a, a pivotal moment um, was with with big events was um, I clearly remember because I'm Australian. I remember the going uh, with my folks to the Sydney Olympics and um, mm-hmm. like it's still seared into my memory going to all the events. And uh, and that's a long time ago now. <laughs> yeah, Sydney. Yeah, that is a long time ago now, actually, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But like, it's kind of it's weird, isn't it? Now we've got the um, obviously Tokyo's been rescheduled. I feel like that's definitely the right decision, mm-hmm. uh, but also really crazy that this uh, the situation we're all in right now has caused such you know massive massive events to be rescheduled. Like the Giro's been rescheduled, uh, Olympics has been rescheduled. Wimbledon has been rescheduled, which to us in the UK is massive. Uh, Tour de France, still don't know. Personally, I can't see it happening right now. Um, but we don't know. We, we kind of, it's like it could be anything, couldn't it? it, could, it we're in such a weird, uh, fast-moving situation right now that, you know, things could happen or they couldn't happen. Who knows? Who knows? But that's, Absolutely. I mean... We, the 107th edition of the Tour de France might be in 2021 as opposed to 2020, but fine. Kind of live with it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, totally. so what would be really great is if you individually could both give a little bit of a background on yourselves and like how you, your, your involvement with Sabella as well. That'd be really awesome. Whoever wants to go first. Sure. Uh, Maria? I'm in on this one. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, so I've been with Cervelo for about a little over two years now um, as director of product management. 
Um, I have from other brands within the industry prior to that. And in total, I've been in product management for, I think, almost nine years now. Um, mm-hmm. And prior to that, you know, did my stint in bike shops for a few years. And uh, while I was getting my, my university degree, um, I really started riding as a young adult, you know, in like 2021-ish years old. Um, just kind of mm-hmm. and, and sort of stumbled upon um, a friend who was training for triathlons and asked me if I wanted to train with her. Um, and that turned out to be sort of my window into the sport. Um, and I just yep. fell in love with it from there. Uh, triathlons for a couple of years and then discovered road and uh, crit racing, um, cyclocross after that. And of course, full-fledged into gravel these days. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, Coming over to Cervelo has been really fun and interesting for me. Um, coming from a larger brand and stepping into a smaller brand, it's a really different environment. Um, and I think mm-hmm. really suits my personality. And our we have a, a small team that's quite close and uh, we work really well together. So it's been a, a really fun experience to collaborate on kind of a different level, I would say, than maybe you would in a, in a larger uh, company setting. It's funny how you say Cervelo is a small brand, mm-hmm. and I, I, I think my like my thoughts of it, and probably a lot of people, it, it come is probably one of the big brands punching. I'm guessing punching way above its weight. Like it feels like Cervelo is continually, you know, innovating much more than a lot of brands out there. Um, but hearing you say it's a small brand is quite interesting because. I've never really thought of it like that. Like, yeah. And when we're talking small, like, are we talking <laughs> as in a really small team? I guess, like, yeah, hundreds. I, mean, I think small can be used in a couple of different ways to to describe it um, because it. So, as you say, it, you know, from the outside looking in, I think our reach is quite a bit bigger than um, people mm-hmm. think of a group our size can achieve. Um, so. And that has a lot to do with our history and just our reach across um, like the global markets um, and sort of our positioning in the premium um, area of the road market. Um, but yeah, we're a team um, of in product development. I Scott, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we have about 10 people. Um, so that's engineers, yep. managers, quality um, and project managers. So um, full-fledged team, but you know, you look at a, at a larger brand who's got, you know, 15 people just on their product management team uh, makes us, inter- you know, wow. seem quite small. So, I mean, my, one of the things that went, when I worked in architecture, one of the things that was always said to me was um, this analogy of a speedboat versus a battleship. So a speedboat can dodge and duck and dive and move around and be much more agile than a battleship while a battleship just plows forward. And mm-hmm. I always feel like it's much better to be the speedboat because you can be so much more reactive and uh, I guess like uh, respond to situations as and when you need to, if that makes sense. Yeah. Definitely. Makes- I think that we're definitely speedboat. <laughs> So Scott, what's your, how's your background been with Cervelo? How, how did you get into this, you know, into this company as well? Um, it's a bit of a whirlwind, actually. I was thinking about it when Maria was speaking um, and it's come on, it's about to be four years um, with the company, which it doesn't, it doesn't feel like four years, but um, so I'm a mechanical engineer uh, by trade. Um, I grew up uh, in Sydney, Australia, um, and I've worked in <clears throat> aerospace for the most of my career, um, a lot of the ex- experience and expertise has been on the composite side of um, the aerospace spectrum, um, which was ironically uh, quite favorable for, for bike brands. Um, mm. Previously to that, I think um, getting into racing, I was never a, a massive road racer. I, I competed um, on a state level uh, in downhill. Um, and I, I can attribute that to my dad. Um, he really pushed me when I was younger, um, and supported me in that, um, 
but yeah, all through university, it was a lot of a lot of alley cats, but nothing nothing to the level of a, a cat one or cat two category racer uh, on the road. Um, I was definitely uh, more on the dirt side of things. Um, coming over um, and maturing a little bit uh, and being able to get on and have the ability to get onto uh, a whole heap of different ranges of, of road bikes, you know, I really fell in love with um, the the adventure or the expedition you're able to have on a road bike as opposed to a mountain bike. Um, and it, it's, it's, I've been fortunate that it's taken us to some, some magical destinations that, um, you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Um, and I think that, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy industry to be involved in. And it's a, the other end of the spectrum of aerospace. I think that, um, I came into the company all gung ho, being like, "It's fine, mate. I worked on I worked on typhoons and F thirty fives. This is going to be easy. It's a bike." Um, <laughs> but the reality of it is that the complexities uh, and and I think the the minutia of details that we need to to figure out in in manufacturing and staying at the pointy end of of the, of the high performance road bike industry is a lot harder than uh, than in aerospace so it was a bit of a shock in the first 12 months that i got put back in my place and, and <laughs> um and realized that like maria said the team that we're in is across the whole spectrum everyone's extremely knowledgeable and extremely passionate about what we do um and we Amazing. all come from a, a massively varied background um so there's there's expertise in fields that you wouldn't necessarily think are directly related to to bikes or bike racing um but they end up having that little bit of uh, insight that you wouldn't otherwise have had. So, yeah, definitely. It's just like I, I'm. I always think like the whole, the element, the thought process and design on a, a bike or a product must be because it's something that a person interacts with directly, and you create a, I guess, an almost kind of weird loving relationship with your bike the whole process about how how it rides how it feels makes the engineering side of it quite different difficult as well because you're so like in tune with the bike and how how it is when you're on it and like the bit that the bit that always like the big one that stood out for me was when you launched a gravel bike like everyone was a bit ah okay this is a bit of a different one from Cervelo, from a bike brand that is known, you know, being very focused on aero road bikes, uh, you know, the aerodynamic side of it to then go and produce what what is an absolutely, you know, beautiful looking gravel bike, which is also very aero refined. Like, was that a, an intentional direction to go with it? Was it a was it a was there definitely? I mean, gravel is definitely something that's growing massively as a discipline in the sport. Was it very intentional for Cervelo to bring out a bike in that market, as opposed to saying, "Let's produce a cyclocross bike," for example, which <laughs> is kind of where some brands have sort of started with it. I think um, I think it's uh, you, you kind of mentioned it as well. You, you're it, I think broadly speaking you create great products if you use the product and are in love with the product and mm. and spend every day with that product and i think that the the gravel aspera for us was was kind of in two camps there was most of the product team like the roads where we're situated in so the head office is in toronto currently um mm. And a lot of the roads that we we ride uh, north of the north of the city are gravel roads, um, and we've been doing that, and the company's been riding those roads for for years, long before I've been here, and long before Maria was here. Um, yeah. So the notion of of from a I guess from a purely product point of view of of creating a gravel bike wasn't necessarily something new to us. It was we we had members of the team that was were stretching out. Uh, old R3s to to clear 33 mil tires or and and using those and it was it was just like you speak of how influential we are in the industry in yeah. creating the aero section of the aero segment. Um, I think we inevitably had gravel already under our belt years ago. We just the market kind of really wasn't ready for it. If that makes sense, yeah, we yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, nice. 
but yeah, so that, that's the kind of the, the roads we were always riding. And I think that speaks to, to what we distilled into that gravel bike where it's, yeah, we want it to be fast. Like we, we didn't, there was never a, not to take away from, from other gravel bikes. Um, there's a, you know, there's a need for those and there's a market for that and there's people enjoy it. But I think yeah. what we were doing as a product development team was, was we wanted to go fast. We've always wanted to go fast and going fast on gravel was something we always did. So we were like, hang on, put two and two together here, looking at the outside and looking at the market and like, we could, we could make a kick-ass fast gravel bike. So, yeah, I, uh, I'll put my hands up. I've not ridden one yet. Um, but I, I, it's on its way. Uh, and <laughs> I cannot wait. I, and, uh, I've got the, the like teal one coming. So nice. in, in, I, I, I think the, the setup is, um, GRX one by with 650B wheels and, and a dropper seat post. Nice. Yeah. So, so I was like, it just sounds like such a good combination to me. Like I, uh, I did the um, the Atlas Mountain race uh, in God. When was that? February, I oh, think it was exciting. this year. Yeah, yeah and I've it was to, like uh, sorry, go on. It, oh my God, I did. I, I did, we were trying to see if we could get an Aspero to me in time for that, and unfortunately we couldn't. But um, yeah, I mean that would have been a bike with the dropper seat post and everything to properly test out up there. It would have been so good. <laughs> the um, the Atlas and uh, the Silk Road mountain races are things that have been on my radar for. Uh, for next year um yeah but the lack of riding i've been doing this year might might uh might influence what date that becomes so yeah it's super, <laughs> I did, super exciting and interesting i did silk road in 2018 as well um uh, so silk road in 2018 i i had i basically crashed off a cliff uh <laughs> sounds really bad it, i mean it wasn't that bad it was but it, it totaled the bike that i was on um and but yeah, of the two, so the, the setup of it originally was that the um, the idea was that the Atlas Mountain Race was supposed to be the baby brother to the Silk Road Mountain Race. Uh-huh. Uh, Atlas Mountain Race is harder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I think uh, mainly because the uh, the terrain is so different to Kyrgyzstan, so. Mm-hmm the Kyrgyzstan terrain is like, is a bit more compact and it's kind of easier to ride. But then the, the Moroccan train is terrain is really loose. There's lots of sand and it's just really loose, like but large, like boulders and gravel. Okay. So it, it definitely like, I, I felt that uh, Morocco was way more technical than Kyrgyzstan personally, but both, both like, I mean, the countries are absolutely insane. Like, unbelievable. Yeah. Oh my god! Like the Either one way. bit I took away from. Sorry, go on. Oh, I sorry. I just said either one would be quite an experience. Oh yeah, massively so. They um, the bits I took away was like in Kyrgyzstan, the first climb is called Kegati Pass, which is some ridiculous amount of meters and or feet into the sky, and you get to the top and you're like, you know, we don't have much altitude anyway in the uk but you get to the top and like your whole head is ringing from the altitude (laughs) but the it was the first time i've ever been at the somewhere and i've actually felt like i was the size of an ant (laughs) and uh, it just blew my mind away like how stunning it was and then on the flip side the in morocco it was the colors like the colors of the sand the sunrises the sunsets like it's just stunning they just sent out all the photos from um, the uh, Atlas Mountain race. Uh, yeah, I've just been I've been looking for them today, just thinking that was that was pretty special. That was <laughs> one heck of an event. Jealous, definitely jealous. Yeah, like the to me that the 650B setup on an Aspero would be like perfect for it with the dropper post, one by setup, biggest cassette you could put on the rear, tiny chambering on the front, and then just like you just plow through it every day basically and just mm. chug along like yeah and and the, the aspero you've got it's basically am i right in saying that there's a part on the fork which you can flip so that it changes the the front angle of the bike yeah. is that right yeah that sound so right? basically we wanted to make sure that the handling of the bike was maintained no matter your wheel and tire setup 
So one of the main goals of, of the Aspero was to make it handle quick and nimble, similar to the way your road bike does. So it's one of the reasons it feels fast when you're, when you're handling the bike. So when you swap between say 700 by 42 and 650 by 50, um, that, um, overall outer tire diameter changes quite a bit and it changes the handling. So you flip that chip, um, into the position that gives you the handling that you prefer between the two. Um, and then you can swap your tire size back and forth, depending on the event and maintain that, that quick handling. That's really nice. Super useful fact, a little feature as well. It's just like well thought through and then going on that track, that, that train of well thought through bikes. One of the, this is going back a few years as well. The RCA frame set was for me was like one of the absolute beauties that was produced at the time. Like it was crazy. I, I can't even remember how many, like when that was produced now, but a, a friend of mine had one and i we have this ride out in the uk called the fred witten which is uh like the hardest like one of the hardest rides in the uk and it all goes across like the lake district and you've got one of the climbs is called hard not pass like it says a lot of it doesn't it um and it's basically it's all in the lake district it's crazy crazy steep and you know long climbs i, I think it's like 100 and something miles 120 odd miles and it's brutal like really brutal and i i went and did it with one of my friends who had i don't know if he still has it i think he probably does still have it one of the rca uh Cervelos. and i remember seeing it thinking that's pretty pretty special mm. so my what what anyway i'm going on a tangent about that bike because it's cool <laughs> um has how has that kind of bike influenced some of the stuff that's kind of coming out now is there ways that it has because that was very much like a, a halo project wasn't it yeah definitely i think that um that i mean that was a that was a frame set i mean going back to the r5ca that was a that was a frame set that um shocked shocked the world into what was at the time you know a crazy light bike um a crazy yeah. light frame set. i think definitely there's a lot of what we learned uh, in that project is and has been distilled into the in, into the manufacturing of what is the current R5. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the bond joint processes and locations uh, were kind of perfected, were experimented with and perfected on the RCA, um, mm-hmm. R5, CA and RCA. Um, a lot of the internal structure, not many, uh, not many people or I guess companies um, like when you think of a bike, you're like, oh, it's just a tube. It's a hollow tube. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot you can do uh, internally to, in- to increase um, torsional and, and, and bottom bracket stiffness um, or add compliance, whatever, your, whatever the metric is that you need um, that's, that's outside of just um, changing the physical shape of the tube. Um, yeah. So a, one good example of that is um, in the, uh, the current R5, there's basically a septum in the junction between the down tube and the seat tube. Um, uh-huh. What what that basically is doing is it's it's we've created an internal wall um, that's joining uh, the upper shell of the um, bottom bracket to the outside walls of the um, bottom bracket junction to basically the top of the seat tube. Um, uh-huh. And we had a number of those in the RCA, and we found that. Um, they for a nominal weight gain, uh, we were able to bump the stiffness up incredibly. Okay. So um, that was there was three or four different versions of, of that in the RCA, um, but we were able to kind of, I guess, simplify it because um, it, it's always a, it's always a balancing act between you know uh, saleability and affordability and performance of a, of a commercial product, right? So yeah, um, you, you need to have a bike that you know is attainable to the masses and you want everyone riding on this bike and we you know we can't do that with a ten thousand frame set but there's things that you, we, we've learned from that like those septums um that we can then um work with our factory in in uh, the far east to to improve and change their way that they manufacture to be able to accommodate that if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that makes sense yeah yeah the um, other bit that sorry, sorry go on, go on. No, i was gonna say oh, I was uh, gonna... And, and just the, the 
amount of um, uh, differentiating ply shapes that we used um, on the RCA is a is an old step forward that we've taken in the R5. Um, so yeah. in in uh, what's a good analogy? You're just talking about coffee, right? There's there's uh, infinite variations of an end cup of coffee, right? And if you trace that back through the different processes and the different beans and where that bean is and what the terroir of the earth is, you end up with a different product at the end, right? Um, yep. The same can be said for, for I guess, manufacturing with, with composite bikes. You can, you can start with a different substrate of material moving into a different... Um, the different material thicknesses and densities into the, you know, thermoset or a thermoplastic. And that again, changes the characteristics of the bike. And then you, we're not even into tube shapes yet or, or ply shapes, you know, the number of plies. So what the RCA really did was, was push the boundaries of um, how many, you know, individual plies could you get and reduce to, to really hit that weight. Um, yeah. During the development, we were we ended up it, it ended up being this funny, funny kind of chasing our tail game where we'd be like, okay, we take this play out and then we'd run a test again with another sample and then it would fail somewhere else and then you you, you trace that source of failure and then you, mm-hmm. you 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 can't just necessarily focus on where that failure point is. You're like, okay, why did it fail there? And maybe it's that the ply that we removed um, or changed the shape of. Um, in the chin section of the down tube is having an influence on it passing a vibration test and not cracking in the top tube. So it's really, it's a, it's reducing the amount of margin for error for ease of manufacturing that bike was, and then, and trying to draw, you know, um, a middle ground between, you know, having a $10,000 frame set and having something that can be, you know, repeatably produced um, at an affordable price and still have, the performance characteristics that you want from it oh man this is like 25 million on the geek scale i'm loving it <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm so glad good the coffee analogy because that i've used it a few times in presentations and i'm like the amount of there and or it's beer or whiskey or whatever your your vice is but the, yeah the amount of variation from from start of process to finished product is is infinite absolutely infinite um and some people uh are saying that we're at the you know we're getting to the pointy end of 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 arrow and we're getting to the pointy end of weight but i mean yes and no we've just we've just kind of scratched the surface of it and and there's there's so much that can be done it's just a matter of if we have time to do it like i might i'll retire and we'll still be at the point where we're like hey we've just you know we're at 700 unique plies instead of you know 400 or 800 or whatever it is so is it, i mean it's always going to keep advancing isn't it is it is it the nature of the industry is that it's going to continually keep moving forward i'm gonna i'm also gonna like drop back another reference from some time ago that am i am i right in thinking that uh because because of the time of year in it's it's classic season isn't it and mm-hmm. From my, should this be. is the, it should be. You're correct. I mean, this is where like my bike geek knowledge comes up. Is am I right in thinking that in the past there was an an R three mud edition? <laughs> yeah, there was a Skunk Works uh, team edition R three that we we uh, produced for the team for Roubaix. Yeah, that is definitely. It was, it was basically like a was it wide? It basically had wider clearance in it, wasn't it? Yeah, well, that and we also, uh, we, sorry, this was before my time, but the company, um, we did a lot uh, in tweaking the stiffness profile of that. It wasn't just clearance against huh. the the same generation R3. Um, we worked closely with the team in, in tweaking the stiffness profile of that bike. Um, yeah. We found, and I think a lot of people are, are, you know, cluing into this now where it's like on on at Roubaix especially, is you don't necessarily want the stiffest bike and you don't want to run, you know, 90 PSI on 22 mil tires. You want, you know, smooth is fast. So I think we we uh, had a stiffness profile on the R3 mud that was adequate in that 
power transfer could be delivered smooth smoothly mm -hmm. uh to to the to the rough stuff and i we took that basically um and use that as a baseline for what we wanted the the profile to be on the asparo so there's 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 a keen link there in in oh, nice. like uh not necessarily the, the geometry of the bike and, and the handling of the bike but definitely from a from a stiffest profile um yeah that's cool it's nice to see that there's that's where that that you know to see the history of it as well like i uh i, I have an r3 at the moment an r3 disc and so i uh i herniated a, a disc in my back um at the end of last year mm -hmm. which don't ever do that it really really hurts don't plan to um, <laughs> yeah stay stay away from like trucks and lorries that's my advice because they're the ones that do it the most and um I, I got knocked off by a lorry basically oh, and yeah. um yeah painful but i so i i went out to calpe just before the lockdown happened in spain and i took the r3 disc out there and i i to be i pretty much just i just received it actually i think a week before so i hadn't really ridden it that much and i'd just come back from uh atlas mountains i was kind of going out to calpe to have a bit of a i guess like I'd had a bit of downtime after Atlas Mountains. I was kind of recovering with my back because the vibrations and stuff in Morocco really like jarred it out quite badly. And then I took the R3 out to Calpe. I hadn't really ridden it. I'd, I'd fitted it to me. Uh, I worked with a really good bike fitter and we spent some time uh, dialing it in perfectly. And uh, I couldn't believe how comfortable it was. I was really like taken back by how comfortable it was. Uh, not just like, like comfortable, but still felt really racy. Yeah. And uh, and my my I was out there with my coach, and he was like, "Have you ridden this bike yet?" And I was like, "Nah, not really. I rode it about ten k, so you know, six miles." And uh, he was like, "Okay, cool, 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 cool. That's 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 good. That's a really good <laughs> tactic there." And we went, and then we went out and rode. Uh, I think we did like six hours together on the bike, and he was just like, every time, like he looked over at me, I was just smiling. My like a Cheshire cat and uh <laughs> the main like photo for like the podcast is actually one that was taken after going up a couple of the, the climbs out in Calpe and that was on the first ride that I properly had on it and um he was like how how is it and I was like I was like shit it's really nice like it's not the I tried to how I tried to explain it it was it feels stiff but comfortably stiff I and like and so I was then does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think you're actually touching on one of our key um, goals with every project or every bike that we start to think about, which is um, ride quality versus yeah. when when most people talk about comfort on a bike, first thing they think of is either some sort of um, inherent uh, suspension within the tube shapes or even a feature or the geometry of the bike mm -hmm. that, you know, forces them into, let's say, a more relaxed rider position. But mm -hmm. the R3, as you point out, um, is is kind of in a different realm. So we focused a lot on um, the um, handling geometry versus the fit geometry. So it still handles very mm -hmm. The fit is still a more, we would consider, aggressive position. Um, and then the ride quality of the bike is what you're sort of trying to pinpoint, which is those stiffness profiles versus weight, et cetera, that really make the bike feel a certain way under the rider. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it's a super, like I, I was like, I knew, I knew it was going to be a good bike. Like I knew it was going to be good, but I was still quite taken back by, it wasn't, the ride that I quite expected in in a very good way. Like I was kind of like, oh shit, that's that was a pleasant surprise. Uh, so I feel like we've kind of we've covered loosely on it, but for what would be awesome to kind of talk about is like it's a this is probably a, a, a something that we could end up talking about for a very long time. But how do you actually design a bike? <laughs> oh man. Um... <laughs> Yeah, in a very like condensed version of that. So, like, okay, what... so um, it, it's it's. I think from the very start, it's always collaborative. Like, it's never 
um, it's it's never there's never a stone tablet from anyone that's handed to us to be like this is what we should do. Um, it's um, it's uh, I don't even know how to start this. I can talk from the engineering point, but it's so a lot of um, sorry, Murray, if you wanna if you wanna jump into the beginning part of it. Yeah. So I mean, I think. It might be obvious to most people, but a lot of research goes into a customer profile before we start a project, right? So you're paying attention to the way people are riding bikes and how that's changing or evolving over time. Um, you know, gravel is the perfect example where it started out as sort of this exploration sort of group of people who were taking their road bikes onto uh, roads that weren't paved. And now it's it's exploded into its own sport um, with different genres within that category, right? So as riders ourselves and as people who are paying attention to to other riders, you start to notice trends or certain ways of riding bikes that maybe is new or is changing. So that kind of starts this idea of um, looking looking for ways to solve a need that maybe hadn't existed before. And that, that starts a... Mm-hmm definition phase so identify that customer and what are their needs that are not being met and so as a group we come together and and figure out how to do that cool (laughs) Um, and then from there i think maria also mentioned it we 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 separate um there's a few things so we'll, we'll start with handling and uh and fit um there we look at them as two uh, independent variables. Um, you, one is a one is an input, and one is a, a kind of a, um, a an output. I guess if that's the right word. Uh-huh. Um, yep. Where we'll we'll say, okay, do, how do first of all, how do we want the bike to handle? Uh, and mm-hmm. we dial that in, and then who are we who are we trying to fit on this bike? And then we dial that in, and they're not necessarily um, the, exclusive to each other. You don't necessarily need. Um, uh, you know, a, a team edition S5 where it's it's super long and super low um, and super fast handling. Um, mm-hmm. We can we can have the two. We can set the bike up to be you know you can have whoever you want. Like my dad could ride and handle and have a bike that handles the same, but he's able to fit on it comfortably. And I think what what that differentiation stemmed from was our realization that um, a, a bike is more than just um, it's just, it's not more than weight and stiffness numbers and, and kind of, you know, what, what's your stack and reach more than that. It's like, what, what makes you faster on the bike? And it's, there's, you know, there's a psychological aspect to that. There's like, mm-hmm. are you confident in how the bike handles? Are you comfortable on the bike? It's got, you know, gone are the days of, 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 um, it's been like, just, you know, put your butt on the seat, shut up and it hurts and just push through it. Like you're, <laughs> you know, there's enough data. There's, I mean, there's hundreds, thousands of, of points of data suggest that if you're if you're in a more comfortable position, you're able to, you know, you're able to hold your power for longer. You're able to to, to exert um, more effort for a more sustained period of time, and that I think can also be you know uh, a function of of riding down a hill fast. Because if you're on a bike that you're not comfortable on, versus a bike that you are comfortable on, you'll be faster. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So I think that's that's a that's what as a start what we try and do. Um, and then from there, we'll look at, uh, we'll go back into the archive and, and see if there's anything that we can pull inspiration from um, uh-huh. internally, uh, like the R3 mud, for example. Um, uh-huh. And then once we do that, um, we start uh, conceptualizing um, the, uh, so we work in SolidWorks for uh, uh-huh. 3D modeling. Um, and we have a, real, a couple of talented designers that uh, are able to, to hit up really quick sketches um, so we can, we can obviously you need the, the bike to be aesthetically pleasing as well. I think we're in a, um, we're in an industry that is, is as vain as it is driven by numbers. Um, Definitely. So, absolutely. So I think that's, that's anyone that I think writes that off, isn't doing justice to, to the end product. Um, and then from there, it's, it's that almost that coffee analogy again. And then we talk about, okay, what tube shapes do we want? What sizes are the tubes are we? Is this, is this going to be an aero bike? Do we want to run a full aero development on this? If it is, um, then we'll start really early on on prototyping. We have an aero uh, library 
um, of mm -hmm. tube shapes that we've developed over the years that we can use as a baseline. So um, the rough shapes can be pulled from that and then we'll start um, printing out prototypes that we then um, put in the, the tunnel uh, to validate the results that we're getting in CFD. Um, yeah. If it's heading in the right direction, um, we'll then uh, commission um, a prototype uh, to, to see how that bike handles because um, there's uh, physical restraints uh, like you can only you can only squeeze physics so much to to get the weight and stiffness that you want to match with the tube shapes and aero performance that you want so there's always a balance so um if we end up with a bike that um maybe where we're looking at if you remember the old t1 where it's super super narrow or the t5 gb was a perfect example um yeah. super super narrow down tube um there's there's only so much uh magic that you can do engineering magic that you can do to get the weight and down and stiffness up um mm. and they're not they're you know inversely proportional to each other in this instance but um if we get the first sample and we're like you know it doesn't really ride where we want it to be and the stiffest profile isn't really where we want it to be um we'll go back into uh that first step where we'll be like okay let's go back to the library and see where we can make and have that compromise to be like okay maybe we need to to look at truncated aerofoils or then we need to you know um increase the taper from the head tube down to the, the bottom bracket so that we end up with a little bit more surface area to play with. Um, and then we'll do that loop two, three, four times, depending on what the project is. Um, mm. And then again, depending on what the project is, uh, we, we always have um, a protein that we can leverage. Um, so we have some early prototypes, uh, go to some of the more experienced riders for some feedback. Um, yeah. And uh, generally the, the more experienced riders aren't the ones to, to be, uh, too excited about new bikes. They're very, they're very critical of it, which is what, kind of what we want. Like, I don't yeah. really, um, I don't really want to know what's good about the bike to be like, I know, yeah, what's, yeah, I know what should be good about the bike. You need to tell me what's, what's crap about the bike. Sorry about language. Um, and, and they're you pretty can, good. You can that. swear, you can swear as much as you want. Like, good, honestly, good, good, good. Yeah, um, don't worry about that. And, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've been pulled up before. So, um, the, uh, yeah, so we'll get feedback from them and then, um, that can then get fed back into the, the very first start, uh, step of that design. Um, uh, and then basically we move into, uh, working with our realizing the manufacturing of that with our, uh, partner in, in Asia. Um, so we have, um, a factory that we're exclusive to, um, our parent company, Pond Bikes. Um, mm -hmm. So there's us um, and Focus and, and Santa Cruz Bikes mm -hmm. work together, which is which is great. Um, so then we're over there um, working on the layup and working on development testing and, and uh, qualification testing. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess that is it. Am I missing something? And then we'll... Uh, We'll provide all the material we need for marketing and do some internal um, kind of lessons learned uh, and a teaching episode, I guess. So we'll have yeah. everyone sit around and be like the rest of the, the company is like, this is what the bike is. This is, you know, what we did. These are, you know, the key features. Here's a whole heap of bikes. Go ride them. See what you think. Um, and then if you get you know, everyone involved and everyone bought in, uh, you end up you know, in it, inadvertently making a great product. So that's super cool. Like it's just so it, it sounds like it's very much it's a continual case of like test something, refinement, test refinement, test refinement. You know, tweaking along to get to the final product, which then in, eventually becomes a thing that is uh, produced and then made available for the mass market. And like the one that always, the one that's kind of stands out to me a lot at the moment is the new S five. So I. I, I own, uh, I like bra bragging about this because I'm because i very proud of it. I have uh, Edvard Bossenhagen's old uh, S5. Nice. Um, which I, I mean, I don't know how much he actually wrote it, but it's got his name sticker on it. So it's kind of cool. <laughs> um, so I, I, uh, I bought it off a friend who is a transcontinental veteran, basically. He's done it three times. No, four times now. And he, he won it at a charity auction for Quebecer. That's how that's how I ended up with it. Wow. 
but basically he sold it to me because he was like uh i, I saw it and I, that the previous generation s5 i was always like that's a beautiful bike I, i'm going when it first came out i was like i'm gonna own one of them one day uh, i i determined to and then my friend matt had this one and i always said it was a bit big for him and i was always like you know when you're when you've decided that it is actually too big for you uh <laughs> I've, I've got first dibs on it and then about a year later he eventually was like yeah it's, it's a size too big for me and he and he and i, I bought it off him and that what I like, I, what I like is with that generation S5. So to the current one, is there's very clearly uh, you can see they're the same family. Although the new design is is very radical uh, for an aero bike anyway, and you know very different to anything else on the market with the mainly with the handlebars and the front end and the integration in the front end. But you look at the previous generation and you can see how it's kind of evolved from that mm-hmm. which is really lovely to see and to me like I, when that bike first came out what i loved was that it caused a lot of quite a stir similar with the espero when the espero came out but the s5 caused quite a stir i think because it was so radical to look at and mm-hmm. i mean my i'm you know that's clearly something that has been very thought through very well tested and proven that it is fast through this refinement and tweaking continually yeah it's, it's a stunner it's a proper cool look, looking bike yeah and then yeah. i guess i guess similarly with like the p5x as well like that's that was a damn bold bike when that first came out wasn't it <laughs> yeah i think we're uh, we're on a bit of a roll with with bikes that are um causing a stir i mean that, that's that's what we intend to do yeah like, it's, it's the best it, it's great to see like there's no point producing a boring bike like when you're at a point where you can really engineer and innovate and create something different and um, i guess we're in a kind of a time where uh people have got a bit of a hunger for that as well which is which is awesome it's a p- brilliant position to be in um i'm gonna fire some like quick fire questions at both of you now so first one disc brakes or rim brakes disc I'm, I'm with you there more. <laughs> It's just so much better, isn't it? I mean, you're yeah, right. I said my, my histories with DH, but I had a disc on my downhill bike when I was 14. Like, wait, yeah. it's, 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 yeah, it's a no brainer. Yeah, I just, think all the excuses and, for I, I mean, are gone now. I don't think there's any excuse. Anymore. Yeah. 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 And they are, uh, and like so many people are like oh the rotors are ugly and i'm like no nah, they're not actually they're like the shimano dura ace ones are really beautiful objects mm-hmm. yep like so yeah it's, it's rubbish isn't it mm-hmm. so okay shimano shram or campag cool. you go first maria I'll see what you say <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i can fire up an answer there i mean i think they all have something really unique to offer um yeah their specialties are just different enough where they can remain unique. And I, I think that's something um, that's actually quite special with, you know, the offerings that we have to choose from as riders. So I'm going to refrain from choosing one. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> I'll be, I'll be the controversial engineer. Um, I have a bit of a love hate relationship with Campy. So I would, I, the previous 11 speed super record EPS stuff is uh-huh. incredible. I really like that stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's campy. So <laughs> they're great. It's great. I would pick a road. I would pick campy. Um, the dirt side is a toss up. The new XTR Shimano group is incredible. Um, yeah. So then, I mean, then on the flip Easy side, wireless. yeah, it's amazing. Oh, mental. <laughs> like, so there, you, like you say, there's so many strengths to each of the brands, isn't there? And it's nice that there's, and then you could chuck into it, like you could chuck in FSA and Rota, who've done group sets now. I mean, mm-hmm. I've never used either of them. I couldn't tell you anything about them, to be honest. But having five brands to look at on the group set side really helps to offer everyone i guess you know you can really choose what you like yeah. um which is great i mean it, i 
I'm definitely a Shimano rider because it just works. Mm. Like, that's it for me. It works. Yeah. And like, I, I, it I, and I, it's that simple. It just works. Yeah. And it, and it always works. And like, you go and ride across. I used a, uh, I had an Ultegra DI2 group set in Morocco and everyone was like, ah, oh, but you, what if it runs out of battery? I was like, well, charge it up. We've got a battery pack. It's fine. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's not that much of an issue. It'd be a lot, or, or like, I, yeah yeah i mean i took i took like a spare battery and some spare cables like some spare di2 cables as well so it's like oh if i break a cable i've just got a spare one um okay so uh, i've got one more quick one favorite ever paint job that Savello have done on a bike hmm. i mean the, the quebeca s5 that that's i mean it's pretty special um the silver one the silver and yellow one um yeah oh man but then again the teal sparrow like i think internally we had what was the what was the nickname we'll call that bike cosmic vomit or cosmic something yeah yeah we took a little bit when it came to come to color and graphics like we as a brand we've been fairly conservative in that realm i think and so we were yeah to take a bit more risk on the gravel side of things and it's really worked out well i think it was quite appropriate yeah you look at the um was it as the gold there's the red and then there's the teal colorway and they're all very mm-hmm. bold colors and then mm-hmm. I, i'm pretty sure i've seen somewhere on the on online somewhere the 2021 color which is like the light almost white but ice blue that fades into a darker blue yeah, which is a color that I I didn't think I'd. Yeah, I never thought I'd see Savello doing color like that either. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, and it's glittery, isn't it? Yeah, I would say our um, our color um, expression as a brand is has uh, is matured the right word over the last two years or so. Um, so I think for model year twenty one, you're going to see a lot more. Um, colors that you probably wouldn't expect from Cervelo. That's exciting. Yeah, that's really cool. Like I, 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 I've said it in a previous podcast, but for me, my favorite colorway of a bike is take not just any, like not just a Cervelo bike, but any bike brand has always been the R5, the Classics Edition one. Oh, yeah. That like. <laughs> Yeah, that digital camo print on it like is a wrap, wasn't it? Like, uh, I was actually talking to someone about it this morning. Like, it just really stood out, and I liked the whole the idea that it was sort of very similar to the you know the motor car development side of it, where that you'd see prototype cars that will be wrapped up, and the idea was to try and distort the 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 shapes and the angles on it and i just i just thought the whole story of it was really cool and i really like the idea of a pro rider just ripping the wrap off at some point <laughs> yeah that, that that was that was the intent yeah was it really they'd hope that someone would rip it off is this guy I didn't... So what um it was um i i don't know if it actually like uh came to fruition but the the you, I mean, you were spot on with the descriptor of, you know, the camouflage of um, production cars. It was, that was mm-hmm. yeah. um, uh, part of the influence, like the the, um, the texture, I guess, for want of a better word, was was um, was taken from uh, samples of um, cobbled sections at, um, at Roubaix. So that's, so there's some history of it in there. Um, yeah, and, and, and uh, yeah, the intent was that that was you know to be written and then it's like bam here's the here's the new bike but yeah it, i mean i don't think it ended up that way but it's yeah it looks it's crazy yeah what well, i think because everyone just really liked it with the wrap on didn't they yeah exactly <laughs> what so what was under the wrap if you unwrapped it what would you find that one was just black i believe i think just it black. Been, yeah i think you're right Marie, yeah yeah, you'd rather keep the wrap on, wouldn't you? Than you would think, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was just imagining like, like you take the wrap off, and then it like, you know, maybe it was like some fluoro pink or something, you know, something really <laughs> unexpected. Uh, but it's a, it's actually another wrap. 
and then you just keep peeling it off like an <laughs> onion. It's like yeah. you need to, it makes the bike lighter each time as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and then it becomes a new RCA bike, basically. Ooh, hang on, let me get a pen. Let me eat this. <laughs> you can have this one. Yeah. Layers on a bike. I'll let you have it for free. First one. So that was, yeah, first one to me. <laughs> but that's how you can make it lighter. Just keep stripping off the layers. Just loads and loads and loads of shrink wrap layers on a bike. That's too. The... There you go. You've just solved all our problems, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome! And then the the I'm gonna sum it up because uh, appreciate like this is for me. This is very awesome. And as I said, I keep saying like I'm proper geeking out about this. But uh, so honestly, like thank you so much for your time. But I have one more question for both of you. And you could split this to do two and a half if you want. Someone else has done two and a half each. So five life tips or hacks. And they could be literally anything you want. So the last podcast I did, which was uh, two people, they did two each. And then the fifth one, they basically said alternating words. It was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, two, two is easier to think of than five. So <laughs> Go on. Go for it. Uh, I've got one that I think most people who know me know this about me, but don't really understand why. But get up mm-hmm. really early. Get up really early. Yeah. Why? You well, most people are more productive in the mornings because there's nothing else happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, say before work starts. Um, you know, most people's day starts at work and then you're busy, busy, busy all day. And then you get home and have to fix mm-hmm. all the things you didn't do before or uh, the day before. Sorry. So I feel getting up early makes you a much more productive person. What time do you get up? <laughs> I get up at four o'clock. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Fair. I, you're hardcore. <laughs> I mean, I'm a half five kind of guy, but That's I don't do four o'clock. That's yeah, yeah. But I, but then I probably go to bed really late as well, so it doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, next one. Go for it, Scott. Um, I got. I think I've got two in a row. So you gave me the time to think about it. Um. I think this is this isn't a unique one to me, but um, is to make your bed every morning. Like I, I got told this when I was in school, um, and it's yeah, I didn't really understand the weight of it until I got into university, where I didn't really have um, the the pressure on me to keep a routine. Um, yeah. and I think yeah. It, especially now it's, it's been it's been invaluable now that we've been working from home for about a month um mm-hmm. it's get up get up every morning and make the bed and that's the first thing you do um and i think that just sets the day for being like cool i did something let's let's go and do another thing um awesome so that would be one and then the second one uh is do do everything full ass don't don't it, it don't do anything half ass it's not worth it like there's it's we're in 2020 like there's no excuse for mediocrity like the where we're not you know what i mean like it's it's don't don't take the easy way out if it's if you've if you're doing something that's easy it's probably the wrong thing so um nice if you challenge yourself and you push yourself out of your comfort zone yeah it's it's uncomfortable because you're not in your comfort zone but you you end up looking back on it and it and it doesn't matter what it is it could be a physical thing it could be a mental thing um and you look back on it and being like yeah i did that and i kicked ass at that and it was hard and i liked every moment of it because it was hard so that's yeah. a good attitude it's like basically like uh I, i've got that kind of attitude of things is I, if something doesn't scare me i'm not doing it right yeah exactly if it's easy right. everyone would be doing it so exactly, exactly. If something's hard, there's a reason why it's hard. But yeah, but to summate it, it's full ass, not half ass. I like that. <laughs> right, Maria, go on. One more. 
Um, all right, I've got a much more s simple one for cycling specifically. Uh, so I'm not a fan of most, let's say, packaged energy foods. So bars and goose. Yeah. That. Um, so what I use is the packaged applesauce for little kids. And Love it. There's, I think there's a few different brands, but uh, literally it's just ground up apples. It doesn't have any added sugars, no uh, added flavors, etc. It's just natural applesauce. Um, seems to have similar amounts of sugar and whatever else you might need in a pan. And uh, it tastes a lot better. I... Uh... Love that. Uh, when I I rode across I rode across Australia last year, um, that was pretty nuts. I went from uh, Perth. Well, I went from Perth to Melbourne and did it in twenty days. Wow. And uh, my on a similar like elk every single time because the there's roadhouses as you're doing the cycle across, and at the roadhouses there was like not a lot of options food wise but there was always sachets of jam and sachets of peanut butter <laughs> and they're basically like little shots of energy jam yeah. sachets and peanut butter sachets they're brilliant yeah that's um, so I, i'm da i'm down with the apple sauce definitely i completely get that one right we've got one more how do you want to tackle this one uh, we could do the one word each thing. Like maybe that can be a thing for you from now on, Chris. Why don't we do that? I don't know how yeah. it's going to end up though. <laughs> Go for it. Always. Ride. Hard. There we go. Done. <laughs> well, that was a lot easier than I thought that was going to be. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. you. you the, la the previous one went on for like about five minutes and involved talking about postmen and the color red and turning left. Oh and I was God. like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, you've done it on the efficient sense. I'm proper impressed. So yeah, I mean, that's, I, that was really, really fucking cool. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to both of you for your time. Like on a, on a personal note, that was awesome. And I'm sure everyone else will really enjoy listening to that as well. Um, I am very, very privileged to have been able to chat to you for the last hour. It's awesome for me. Like I, I just had a full geek out for an hour and I can't really, <laughs> I've got nothing yeah, else I can say. That was so, so great cool. Great to know you a bit as well. Really appreciate you having the interest to, to talk with us. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of it. I'm going to wrap it up there. Uh, thank you for everything. Thanks, You're Scott. Welcome, Thanks, thank Maria. You. Really appreciate it. And I'm sure I'll talk to you soon at some point in the future, maybe when some exciting new stuff comes out. Sounds <gasps> good. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Right, I wanted to add a little bit extra on the end of this podcast because I'm absolutely buzzing from that. Uh, I've just recorded that tonight. Uh, this little extra bit is being added on uh, while I'm editing the podcast itself. I just want to say a massive, massive thank you to Cervello and especially to Scott and Maria for being involved in that. For me, as a cyclist and a lover of the sport and someone who's come from a design background and, I guess, history that was unbelievably fascinating and a real interesting insight to the brand the engineering some really really cool references to, to some of the bikes that Sabella have made in the past and <clears throat> yeah that was fucking awesome I just want to say it's a real privilege to have a brand like Sabella supporting me personally uh, I've been a massive fan of their bikes for a long time and I'm still to be honest in a lot of shock that that all kind of came together uh, i still sort of feel like I'm pinching myself every day realizing that I get to work with a brand of Cervelo's scale and nature and also to actually have such an involvement with them and to get to talk to them so often oh my god I'm baking right now and my alarm's going off Alexa stop alarm 
that will solve that problem. But yeah, that's kind of all I've got to say really for now. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for following. Thank you for the comments, all the really positive messages and I've been getting about the podcast. This, this really was something that I decided to do a bit randomly, but it's something I've always wanted to do. And it's really nice that people are enjoying them, especially in what's quite a tricky time in the current climate. So yeah, thank you so much. Please keep liking, sharing, commenting, subscribing, all that kind of stuff. And let me know if there's anything else you want to hear in the in the comments. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.